Well, the Rockets have won a couple games and won the first three of their five-game road trip. Welcome back to Texas Sports Nation, the podcast. I'm Jonathan Fagan with Danielle Lerner. Things are looking a little better. They're, they're playing a little better. They're competitive, and they do tend to win close games. Yeah, starting off with uh, two wins out of three games to, to start this road trip, uh, this five-game road trip out on the West Coast is pretty good, all things considered. And, of course, they played the Kings twice uh, last weekend in Sacramento on Friday and Sunday. They lost the first game and then came back and made some adjustments, especially on the defensive end, and won the second game. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned they, they're pretty good in close games. And, you know, you think of a team with this record, and you, ah, yeah, they're good. Well, they're eight and six in games with clutch situations. I don't know if that means okay. When you get in close games, it's a coin toss and they've landed heads more often than tails. And so well, I might even out. I probably, they don't need to chess that. They probably need to win a few more easily. Not that that's really on the horizon, but maybe they're just good in those situations that they focus better than they typically do. For 48 minutes, they have lapses. That's part of who they are. And they don't really run things to get the ball to a go-to guy the way they did in the James Harden years or even with Chris Paul. But at the end of games, they do. And their go-to guys in those situations have been very good to go to. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. has has hit some big, big shots uh, to, to close out some games recently. Of course, the game winner in Washington, but hit some big ones in San Antonio and that went over the Spurs and then hit another big three uh, in the, the final two minutes uh, of the win against the Kings. You know, he also did have a bad turnover in those final two minutes and missed a shot, which was kind of saved by Jalen Green going and getting the offensive rebound and getting it to Eric Gordon for a bucket. Um, so, you know, everything is not perfect. Certainly they, they, the Rockets certainly still have flaws when they're playing in those final five minutes of clutch time, but they do seem more often than not to feel comfortable putting the ball in Kevin Porter Jr.'s hands and letting him do his thing. Or, you know, Christian Wood was kind of also another guy who, who was hot, uh, in these games in Sacramento. Um, he was able to get a couple baskets. And then of course you can always rely on Eric Gordon to be the the steely veteran and and go get you a bucket. Sure. I was trying to set you up to have you tease my story for today, which is Eric Gordon playing so well. Uh, you know, they, and I asked him, is this the best year of your career? And maybe you can't say that because of their team's record, but most efficient was his answer. And it is without question, the best shooting percentage of his career, the best three point percentage of his career. And he has been sensational. Really, in the last 20 games, he's shooting 55.8%, which for a guard who has to create his own shots, that's remarkable. And they do come out of timeouts and late in games, as in the game in Sacramento. And they say, okay, here's our play. Get out of Eric's way. Get him the ball. Spread the floor. Go to the basket, as he did, uh, as he did in that game. And, you know, his game in San Antonio where he was almost perfect, 9 out of 10. Uh, so, he, you know, he's playing very well. But then that brings sort of that tension between what the Rockets are, what they were, and what they want to be in that, okay, you're winning games because of the play of your 14-year vet, veteran down the stretch when 
you're judging the season by development. Do, do those are those two things in conflict? And what does that mean in the trade deadline three weeks away? Uh, on the first part, I asked Stephen Silas that, and you know, he said no because we don't typically just run things for one go-to score. And he pointed out, as you did, that other guys have contributed from the Jalen Green rebound to Kevin Porter Jr. shooting. Jay Sean Tate has been terrific lately. Christian Wood has been really good since the suspension. So that's a fair point. But as you look, it's three weeks and two days to the tread deadline. The ability to go be the difference between a win and a loss would seem to matter more to teams that want to win as their most important priority. I, I got to think he's, you know, we know this. We know he's attractive to a lot of teams. Will he be attractive enough for the Rockets to get the kind of offer that would lead them to move him? Yeah, I think it is always, as we've talked all season, the Rockets are kind of like walking this fine line between I mean, they, they know that the future is what they want to invest in. It's not a fine line between this season versus the future. This season is is lost. They're, they know they're not they're not a playoff contender. They're not looking to, to really win games at the moment. But um, yeah, Eric Gordon, his value to, to this team, they have to decide, is it worth it, not just for this season, of course, but for another couple of years to have him stick around? Or are you better off, will you get more value by unloading him and seeing what you can get in return, whether that is stockpiling more picks or, of course, they still do need to look at talent acquisition for the future. Uh, it could not hurt to do a deal similar to to what the Knicks did when they went and got Cam Reddish from the Hawks this weekend. And you see a young guy who you like, relatively young, you think he's kind of that, that new wave of talent and you go out and get him. Yeah, I, I tend to think that is a good way for them to do it. Some talent acquisition not just pick acquisition would seem of value. And if you could do both somehow, that would be even better, of course. But it's just hard to gauge. When can the Rockets get the most if they are to trade him? And I'll back up a little in that he said today, he feels like he's got four or five more years at this level, uh, that he's feeling so good and he worked so hard in the offseason to be able to stay healthy. But he feels like he's got years. So maybe he can be a good contributor when the Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. types mature to whatever Josh Christopher grow into whatever they will be, not to mention the guy that they will draft this June. Uh, still, he's 33, hasn't been the most durable of guys. Let's say the Rockets say, believe, you know what, the timeline just won't match. It doesn't match. It won't match. When can they get more for him? At the trade deadline, where a contender might argue he can put us over the top, or in the offseason, where teams can be more flexible with what they can offer? When can the, I think that's what the Rockets have to evaluate uh, in the coming weeks. When can they get the most for him? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think to, to some extent that question applies to Christian Wood as well, who has been playing very well. And he doesn't have the same, I guess, oomph as Eric Gordon might uh, as far as his attractiveness to, to other teams who are looking for that final piece um, to, to be a, a contender for a championship. But, you know, he has like a year and a half left on his deal with the Rockets, right? And 
is this kind of the peak of his value? He's playing well right now. Teams may be turned off by what happened with the incident that led him to be suspended, but maybe they don't care because he has been playing so well since then. Yeah, I don't think they're going to care in a trade deadline move. You're not making the move to make him the core of your rebuilding to where now you're going to weigh stuff like that. You're trying to see, will he put you over the top? So you're being more short-sighted, strategically short-sighted, not as a failing, but as a way to evaluate. So I don't think that's a big factor. But unlike Eric, and and the difference in their age, I don't think is a big factor either. Christian Wood is, is 26. Eric Gordon is 33. But again, teams making a trade deadline move aren't thinking about five years from now. They're thinking about two months from now. And so I don't think that's a big factor, but Gordon can fit with anybody. You can put the ball in his hands. You can put him off the ball. You can have him be your sixth man. You can have him start. You can have him defend anybody at a one, two, or three. You can put him on the best scorer on just about any team. You know, you now you, you wouldn't put him on Joel Embiid, but you'd put him on, you know, just a whole lot of of great scores and say, that's our defensive matchup right there, which makes him so a, a bigger pool of teams that can consider him valuable to them. Well, Christian Wood's a little tougher of a fit. He, he's not the anchor of your defense center. He is most effective switching, which not every team can do or wants to do. Uh, so you, you'd have to fit into his strengths. You do need the ball in his hands. He can catch and shoot threes some, but to be at his best, you want a team that isn't looking to post up, can keep the lane open, is going to be five out for the most part, and can put the ball in his hands. So I think it's a smaller pool that fits with him. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. And then the Rockets, beyond, okay, let's take advantage of assets that we might have. And also, I don't think the Rockets need to move him as much because – He's a low mileage, 26. You can take your time more and evaluate more with him uh, because he can still be in his prime when the young guys are just entering theirs. But then the other decision, and this is a harder one, and I don't know why we're, you know, I guess trade deadline is interesting. And so you get caught in this rabbit hole of trade deadline talk. I'm going to get the trade machine out next and start working to get Ben Simmons here. But the the next thing the Rockets probably have to evaluate is, okay, we have all these young guys. Are are we willing to move any of them? You know, or are we going to keep riding with and see what KJ Martin becomes? See, does Jayshon take, take that next step? and have the range shooting to be a full-time three should they get a four? Because right now he's his best as a four. How do they evaluate all the young guys? They drafted four teenagers. Uh, Josh Christopher and Alperin Shingun are better than they expected at this stage. Well, how does that affect decisions on, let's say, Usman Garuba? They have to evaluate a ton, not just sort of their headline assets. Well, and to me, it's not just the question of do they keep or get rid of some of these young guys, but it's if they keep them, are they trying to make moves that will clear room for those guys to get more playing time, or will they end up bringing in other pieces that still leave those guys down in the rotation? Yeah, that's a great point. That's 
And, you know, that's why I, I wondered about the wisdom of drafting four guys at once. And I asked Rafael Stone that at the press conference, four teenagers at once. So they're all at sort of the same stage of development. It's not like, well, he's more of a project, but this guy's ready to step right in. He said this way they grow together, that we don't have a guy who's now ready and he's playing while this guy's still two years away. Well, isn't that what's happening? You know, there's no minutes for Garuba. And now part of that is because Shangun is better more rapidly than they expected. And they really need to play the same position roughly. And it's not a good match with them together. But that's sort of what has happened to, to your point. And the other thing is, I don't think you're looking to trade those guys. But you need to have in your own mind, this is what it would take. If someone comes with an offer, I'm not going to start having conversations with the Fertitas and with my staff five minutes before the deadline. I need to have it ready to pull the trigger. No, that's not enough. Or, yeah, that's the price I had in my head. And I think Rafael's the type that he can do that because he's not going to feel pressured. And why should he? I mean, it's not like the decision he makes next month determines whether they win a championship or not. So he's not going to feel like, oh my gosh, it's the deadline. What a, I have to make this move. He can put a price on what he thinks he needs to get for his guys and not bend if he doesn't get that kind of offer. Yeah, I mean, that's the advantage of the Rockets being sellers at this stage right now, right? Is that People, other people are going to be more desperate to find, get specific deals done for specific players um, because they're trying to contend immediately. And the Rockets don't have to worry about that as much. They can wait until the offseason to make some other moves. They can wait until next year to make some other moves. Yeah. And I liked your point that it wouldn't hurt to get some people who play basketball, you know, that rather than just more picks, they're, they're not really trying to do it the 76ers way or even the current Thunder way, where just keep trading for more assets, more draft picks, more draft picks, just get more and more. They, they want, first of all, they had to restock the cupboard after the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook trade, but, and they've done that. And they want many picks and they would happily make moves for the right sort of picks, but it's not only about picks. I think uh, you put it that way. But I think that's what, if I went upstairs right now and went eavesdropping at Toyota Center, I think they would put it that way. In fact, I think I might go do that right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a short break and be right back. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bring my recorder with me and slide it. Actually, I don't even know, you know, because the COVID years, you can't even go in guys' offices anymore. When I talk to Rafael, it's either, you know, on the phone or text or here in my little work area. Um and so since step into we, my office, Jonathan says, that's what I should say to him. In fact, I think I have said that a, a few times, you know, back in the day and because this is a podcast, let's get off the topic and go to some other direction. I, I would like working in this area because on concert days, the players would have to come through here to get to their cars and guys would sometimes sit down and just talk, which is the way it used to be in the old days of open locker rooms where you would talk more to players that was not just about the team or it wasn't certainly not always an interview. Sometimes you just talk. You know, I remember guys showing me catalogs of a car they were buying or, 
Antoine Carr telling me how the music video on the screen was made. And things like that just don't happen anymore. This is like an example of the old guy saying back in my day, and much more so the people who were my predecessors when it was really that way, uh, way more uh, than what I experienced. Well, when I sat in this little corner and they would make their way through, now granted when they sit down, sometimes it would be more basketball and rocket stuff. But every now and then you could get into something that it's just so hard, especially in the COVID area, era where everything is a scheduled interview and a lot of it is Zoom. It's, I hope we go back to that, to the more conversational way of being around the people you cover, which I understand now. I mean, I've got my mask here, and, you know, I'm in an empty room. <laughs> yes, but that would be good if we could get back to that. A, a topic I went into just because we mentioned, come into my office, Rafael, let's talk. Well, if, yeah. if he did, what should I ask him? If, if he walked down those stairs to my right right now and I said, have a seat, what do you, what do you think the first thing I should say would be? Well, I don't know uh, how detailed of an answer you would get, but obviously, you know, everyone is thinking about February 10th. So it, it probably is, you know, what if you are looking to acquire talent, what positions are you looking for specifically? Um, you know, you would think that they have more of a need in the front court, especially, you know, Daniel Tice hasn't worked out. They're probably going to try and, and deal him somewhere else. But also looking at your backcourt, do you really see Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. as your backcourt of the future? Or are you trying to get some other pieces to, to slide in there? You know, on that latter one, I think if I shot him with truth serum, he would have to say, I don't know. I don't think he could say, oh, absolutely, yes. You know, we can win a championship those with those two guys. But I don't think he would say no either. And again, this would be is, like a magic eight ball, ask again later. Yeah. You know, I don't know if anybody ever shot truth serum into a magic eight ball. But uh, I think that would be his most truthful answer, that he would have to say, I don't know. that, it, And that's not a negative. I mean, it, it, it's a process with them to borrow a term that you don't expect it right away. And, you know, getting back to basketball and you were mentioning the play of Kevin Porter Jr. earlier, I think he is showing signs of growth as a player and even as a point guard. Yeah. He talked extensively the other night uh, after the win against the Kings about, he realizes that he said this team wants its identity to be one with poise. And that is something that I, as the point guard, have to bring because it leaks down from the point guard to every other person who's on the floor. So he really relishes ha taking those big shots in those final moments in close games because even though obviously mistakes sometimes will still happen, he wants to be that guy who can handle the ball under pressure and help everyone else on the floor kind of see things clearly. Yeah, I think he's recognizing defenses better, too. He doesn't have to. I mean, he has a few plays where he forces things. And by the way, I'll give him a break on that turnover down the stretch since the last two-minute report said he was fouled on it, uh, which I thought he wasn't. Certainly, he thought he was. Uh, he, he was not pleased. But I think he is seeing things better. And I think he's a little bit more under control, particularly as a passer. Uh, I, I think maybe even less casual. There were so many times where he'd make a good drive and just sort of flip it up towards the basket. And 
Uh, you're a big, strong guy. Go strong. Make, make him foul you to stop you. And I think he has done that better. Um, then the other question when it comes to Kevin Porter Jr., do you call him Scoot? I do not. You do not. I, I, that's, too fa- that's too familiar f- for me. Uh, I, I can't bring myself to do it. You see, I, I don't because to me, uh, and I know the team does, Steven Silas does, Rafael Stone does, and, and Rafael and he talk a lot. Uh, they call him Scoot. Like That's his nickname. Like you wouldn't call Babe Ruth George. They call him Scoot. I feel like I'm trying to be a cool guy, which an old guy should never try to do. But you are closer to his age. I think you could get away with it. It's, you know, and that is, it's not a basketball name only. You know, like Steve Francis, some of his oldest friends referred to as Wink. But his teammates never did. Catino Mobley, though, a lot of people called Cat. That, that did become a nickname. But Steve Francis, it was almost a trivia answer that, you know, these guys call him Wink. Well, that would be pretty weak. If, you know, I said, hey, Wink, that, that would be, that's not the case with Kevin Porter Jr. You know, it is somewhere between Wink and Magic for Magic Johnson. It would be, you're not trying to act cool if you called Magic Johnson Magic. So I, I've always kind of, I, I decided, I, and one day I might tell him that, but hey, you know, the reason I don't call you this is because I don't want to act cool. You know, I don't want to act like I'm your boy or something because we both know that's not the case and will never be. And so I think you can get away with it, though, and not even sound weird doing it. Well, yeah, but that's like you kind of made my point for me about familiarity is just that like, yeah, like we have a, a good enough rapport, but, you know, I'm not trying to to act like I'm being buddy-buddy in any way. And I think sometimes as far as nicknames go in general, like even calling Christian Wood C. Wood or Daniel Tice DT and stuff like that, I would never refer to them, like talking to them face-to-face, I would never do that. But sometimes shorthand when asking a question or to a teammate or something like that, it's a little bit more natural if they always call them that for me to say like, hey, what did you think of this play that C. Wood made? But that's about the extent of it for me. Well, yeah, that, I think that's a fair point, too. That, and you know what the one I do that's kind of goofy is, you know, you've seen it. That I do play-by-play play during the game. I write down everything that happens during a game in my notebook. And I do it with abbreviations. Well, sometimes I almost forget, oh, yeah, they don't use the same abbreviations I do. And so I have to stop myself from referring to, like, DJ Augustine is DJA is my abbreviation for him because last year when he got here, there were two DJs. So I, I, so now my notebook always has DJA, DJA. Well, if I ever said that, what the hell is that? You know, that would be, so, you know, I'm very proud of my little note taking, but that would be my goof mistake if I ever, I, I don't think I've done that yet, but I do keep every play, and uh, you'd be amazed how often I have to go back and refer to them. Like even today, writing that Eric Porter, Eric Gordon story, you know, what time was his late basket against the Spurs? You know, you can look at all that up too, but I like to trust my scribble 
if I'm going to do it. Plus, it makes you focus, which was very nice. It was weird the last couple of games that you had in Sacramento, not taking any notes. I just kind of watched. It was interesting. I enjoyed the broadcast too, by the way. No, that was, it's a good broadcast. Yeah, hopefully those guys uh, will get back on the road soon. They they have not been for the last little bit. You know, I, I marvel at how they can do that, uh, you know, to uh, mostly Craig. I, I could see Ryan Hollins or the other color commentators, uh, analysts around the league that aren't traveling. I could see how they can do it. And plus, a lot of the times they're discussing the replay. And so you're looking at the same thing as you would be if you were in the arena, but for Craig and the play-by-play guys around the league, that's really hard. I, I don't know how. Well, they and even do for that. for Kaylee, for sideline reporters, that's tough. You're not getting any extra intel because you're not there. Right? Yeah, it's hard to be a sideline reporter where you're, you know, eighteen hundred miles away from the sideline. But uh, and I find that when like we travel, we could get away with not. And thankfully, the Chronicle has invested in us being there. And that's not just for practices, which reminds me, I need to ask you about those practices that you've been to lately, but uh, which are great, where you really get good access at practice. But when you can see what you want to see and not just what's on the screen, you know, I, I you see so much more. You know, I, I saw a lot of reaction in the last game to certain things that happened. Well, no, because you didn't see you know, Josh Christopher, who's a good, earnest defensive player, really, you went under a screen in the fourth quarter on Buddy Heald? You know, that's the kind of mistake that maybe you wouldn't see on television as much, although obviously I did, but that maybe you do in a game where you can choose what to see. Or Garrison Matthews had a really good game, but he emptied the tank. And so... He failed to be the low man rotating, gave up an uncontested dunk. He let a rebound just fall in front of him. Two things he never does. You know, he's a good, reliable guy about those things. And that's when they said, okay, that's it. Timeout, sub him out. Well, those are the things I think when you're there, you're more likely to be able to see. The better thing to be able to see apparently, though, has been those practices you went to. Uh, in fact, Stephen Silas and I talked about that a little bit, that you saw a pretty entertaining practice in Sacramento. Uh, I did. I did. There was uh, a lot of action with John Lucas uh, at the end of it, challenging uh, Alperin Shangun to uh, to a shootout and winning. Uh, of course, you know, anyone who, who knows Lucas knows that he was a decent shooter back in the day, former number one pick. Uh, but Alpi was pretty frustrated with himself, I think. Um, after, after he, uh, he lost to Lucas and then Josh Christopher came over and tried to say like, you know, okay, I'll challenge you too. And Lucas goes, oh, no, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, first of all, he's entitled to be tired. Uh, believe me on that one. But yeah, I would think that uh, NBA player in 2022 should be able to outshoot a player who made 244 threes in his career, which ended in 1990. You know, that's not a comment just about his age. It's that three-point shooting, I don't know that they had a whole lot of three-point shooting contests after practice with their assistant coaches in 1990, uh, or really most of his career well before that. And so, 
Yeah, but I, I can imagine if Luke won a shooting competition, I bet you could hear it from Sacramento to San Francisco. I, I bet he was, he wasn't shy. Oh, no, he, he was fired up. And he, he's always a riot uh, at practices and, and shoot-arounds, as, as you well know. But, you know, the the previous practice in Sacramento, at the end of it, he, like, faked an injury on the baseline just to get everyone in the gym to, to rush over to him and then pops back up and is fine. And he came over to me the next day and told me, just so you know, I had surgery for my, air quotes, injury, and I'm doing just fine now. Also told me after I, I posted the video of him beating Shangun in the shootout, came up to me the next day and said, thanks for posting that. I'm getting calls around the league from teams who wanted to sign me to a 10-day. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's, that's so him. And, you know, when he is got like the young guys, say, after practice and they're working a little extra and they're doing stuff, a lot of that is the same drills and that certainly that loud countdown that I'm sure people have seen on videos that you've posted. And I post sometimes he does that at the workouts at his gym in town where young players, some getting ready for the draft, not so much anymore now that he's on the rocket staff, but back in the day that he would have players from all over the league or wannabes who want to be in the league come in for workouts. And a lot of it was the same thing where you get to make one move. And then if that doesn't work, you got to make another and go because there's a shot clock in the NBA. This isn't, you know, just practice. You're practicing for a purpose. A lot of that same stuff he has taught, we are seeing. And, you know, it's very valuable. But, you know, he will tell you it's tough love. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And, you know, more so with the guys who are part of a team rather than the ones who just come in. You accept that. You know that. That's why when the thing happened with Kevin Porter Jr., it was more the timing that, you know, he went over the edge after what Lucas said, which was after what Silas said. It wasn't about Lucas. You know, he's put it this way. If he was going to blow his top over Lucas yelling, it would be every day. He would, if he got suspended, if he blew his top every time Lucas yelled and got suspended for a game, he wouldn't have played yet this year. And so it's not a thing with, oh, they're having problems. They, I think guys like that benefit from having him in their ear. And there are a lot of times you see at a timeout where he will pull a guy aside right after Steven Siles finishes and they're heading back to the court for a last word or two to K.J. Martin, a last word or two to Jalen Green. Uh, so he, he is valuable on a co any coaching staff, but particularly what this team has become since he joined the staff. He joined the staff with Mike D'Antoni. He was on the staff in, in Stephen Silas's first year, which began with James Harden and P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon and veterans. He's especially valuable, I would think, with a team – with Usman Garuba and K.J. Martin and Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, Jay Sean Tate, who's older and plays way older than second year, but he is second year. Uh, so yeah, is he's more than just funny in your videos on Twitter, although he is funny on your videos on Twitter. Yeah, well, that's why, I mean, they hopefully our, our listeners have indulged us this far and kind of going into a little bit how the journalism sausage is made. But that's why we enjoy 
uh, being on the road and, and uh, also just being around the team as much as possible at home. So, right. you know, Jonathan's got this game in Utah uh, Wednesday night, and uh, I will be uh, in San Francisco for the game against the Warriors on Friday. And I'm sure we will have a lot more to talk about, including more trade deadline stuff when we come back next week. Right. They come back from this road trip. For, uh, they get a little break because of the moved Sixers game, which could be a good way to sort of reload for a four-game homestand, which could go either way. Uh, you get San Antonio and Portland. Uh, San Antonio struggling a bit. Portland showing some bounce back to them, finally. And then Golden State and Cleveland, maybe the surprise of the year, before going to San Antonio. So uh, Rockets feel a little better now. They've won two in the last three. I think and these next two are really tough at Utah and at Golden State. That, that That's almost as tough as it gets in the Western Conference. Throw Phoenix in there. But then we get to see where they are as they get towards the trade deadline. And, of course, We'll be back again next Tuesday and every Tuesday to talk about it. Danielle, enjoy the Bay Area. We'll be a back-home baller for a few more days. And uh, we'll talk again next week.